Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is Senior Minister Edie Bacon. We've been uh, journeying through a story of Jesus as told by Mark in Mark's Gospel. It's been a journey in which we're reminded as we've basically come to the end of that journey, we're reminded of what Mark says it's all about. You're familiar with the phrase, begin with the end in mind? It's a phrase that's applied to leadership. It's a phrase that's applied to planning. It's a phrase that's good in making plans for a trip. Start with the end in mind. Know your destination. Know where you're going. It will guide you, will direct you, will help you be able to measure if you're making progress. It's a good thing to have when you're telling a story. Start with the end in mind. And we're blessed because in the telling of the story of Jesus, Mark tells us where he wants us to go. Tells us where the end is. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this is what he says. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm telling you this story. It is the beginning of what he calls good news. Mark characterizes the story as something that's good, and it's good information. Good information for those who will receive it. Good news, that's an English translation of a church word called, the word is gospel. It's not just good news, it's life-changing news. News that will, information that will turn your life around. Information that will bring you joy. Information that will set you free from the bondage that you're under. Information that will bring you to the place where you can say, this is the best news I've ever received because of it. I am now right with God. I can walk with God in life and I can have hope for eternity. This is good news, the best news, joyful news. That's where Mark wants us to land. And the subject of the story, the subject of the good news is a person. That person, his name is Jesus. Again, we've got to pay attention to the details. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua means God saves. Within the name of the man is captured the purpose of the man to bring about salvation, to bring about life. Jesus will be the means by which we will be able to receive this good news that we can be right with God. He says, Jesus, the one who brings salvation, the one who brings life, the one who makes us right with God, Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that's an English translation of the word Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. <laughs> Christ is a title. That title refers to promises being made, first of all, to the people of Israel. If you read the first part of the Bible, is the story of God reaching out to a people, making a people. We call them the Israelites. They become the Jews. And the promise he makes is that one day I'm going to send an individual, a man, who will make everything right. Everything that's wrong in this world, every injustice, every 
pain, every suffering, every need for forgiveness, all of that will be made right by one whom I am will send, my son, the Messiah, the promised one. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, naturally, when we see that phrase, Son of God, our mind goes biological, right? We think family. We think uh, husband and wife and child, father, son, uh, mother, all that kind of stuff. Well, because we're talking about God, we have to understand that He's not talking biological. He's talking spiritual. And in effect, calling Jesus the Son of God, what He's saying is Jesus comes from God originates from God. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who comes from God, and what we'll discover is that what he means specifically is that Jesus is both God and man. He's a God-man. And because he's a God-man and he's come into this world, God has come into our world in the form of Jesus, we now have good news. We have now good news. It is good news. God has reached into our world so that we might find a way to be right with him. What we cannot do on our own, God has provided a way through Jesus. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. And the way Mark is going to go about telling his story is simple. He's just going to tell you what happened. He's just going to share what Jesus said and tell you about what Jesus did, miracles and wonders and signs. He's going to simply share the story of Jesus, and, and he's, he's not going to interpret it for you or spiritualize for you or idolize it or make a teaching moment. No, he's just going to tell you what happened. Why? Because he wants you and me to come to a decision where we say, this is good news. And what we've discovered as we've gone through the story is we've talked about some quite remarkable things, so remarkable that you're like, whoa, really? Really? In fact, many times when I read the story told in the gospel, I'm like, this is crazy stuff. But when I think about this being crazy stuff, I'm reminded of another saying that I've heard and really experienced in my own life, that saying that goes, sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. How many of you have heard that saying? And how many of you experienced that in your own life? Had things happen to you like, uh, if it wasn't happening to me, uh, I wouldn't believe it in the first place. I, I, can't, I don't know how I'm going to tell someone else about this because this is weird. This is crazy. Fact is sometimes stranger than fiction. So my name is Dee Dee Bacon. Let me share with you some of the fact that is stranger than fiction stories related to me. It has to do with pigs. Being a bacon, it has to do with pigs. <laughs> I was born in Zimbabwe, Africa. Grew up in the suburbs of the capital city called Harare. Now, when I tell people I grew up in Africa, immediately they have make assumptions. Like, did you walk around with loincloths? <laughs> oh, do that kind of stuff. 
Did you have to ride to school dodging lions and, you know, pull over on the road on your, you know, driving because there was elephants walking? No. Look, I grew up in the suburbs just like you. We had two cars, a garage. We watched TV, Beverly Hillbillies. Dallas, remember the 80s? You know, come on. We, we went through all that stuff that, that most of us here go through. Running water, flushing toilets, washing machines, mowing the grass. I mean, all that kind of stuff. In fact, elephants and lions, yes, they're in Africa, but they're in the sticks. They're in the game parks. We don't run into wildlife on a normal basis, just, you know, pretty much just like, like we do here, Right? So one day I woke up to the sound of the dogs going nuts. We had a couple of dogs, labs, and they were running and there was commotion going on. It was dark, early, early morning. I told this story before, but it's true. I got up and I looked and said to the guys that were there, what's going on? And they said, there's a wild pig, a wild African pig. I don't know how it got into our yard, running around my yard, destroying my mother's flower beds, and the dogs are chasing them around everywhere. It was a zoo, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I go into my dad and mom who are asleep early in the morning, knock on the door. Hey, uh, dad, um, there's a wild pig in the yard. Crickets. What? Yeah, uh, there's a, a pig running around our yard. Seriously? Yeah, you need to come out and see it. He gets up, he sees it, and like, oh my goodness, there's a pig in our yard running around, dogs chasing. We better, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Call the police. The police, like, really? Come on. They come out, check it out. Wow, there is a pig in the yard. We need to do something. They go back to the station, they bring a couple of weapons to deal with the pig an Uzi machine gun. How do you kill a pig with an Uzi machine gun? You don't. That's the answer to that question. I mean, my mother's flower bed, blowing. It was insane. It was insane. Now, I'm telling this story, and you might be wondering, come on, man. It's the truth. Fact is stranger than fiction. Now, it must be something with the bacons because pigs always are involved in these crazy stories. Not too long ago, my, my daughter Maddie went out for a run. She was running down our street, and as she's running around, guess what she runs into? A pot-belly pig <laughs> walking down the street. Maddie, being the compassionate type, kind of like, oh, I wonder where the owner is. She's like, come on, piggy, piggy. The pig started chasing her, clacking his jaws, like clack, clack, clack. We tell our kids, you better, uh, you know, when you go out that early, carry some mace. So <laughs> Maddie had some mace, and she's trying to squ square the mace, and it's not spraying. It's like, pfft, pfft. and the pig, she said the pig put his little, paw, his little trotter like, and then came at her. She flew down the house, opened the door, slammed the door. I thought, oh, no, what's happened? What's wrong, Maddie? There's a pig down the road. Fact is stranger than fiction sometimes, right? So just because some of the things that we read in the Gospel of Mark, things that seem crazy, healings, feeding of 5,000, teachings that 
seem confusing about the way to live and the way, the way to life. Just because they seem strange, just because they seem strange doesn't mean that they're a fiction. And the testimony of Mark is that, hey, I'm telling you, we were there. Just as we sang in the song, were you there? Mark says, yes, we were. And this is what happened. And today, we're going to talk about the strangest of all events in the life of Jesus. We're going to talk about the thing that everything sits on, everything hinges upon. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be falsely accused, arrested, and executed on a Roman cross. And sure enough, that's what happened. Thursday night, he comes in to Jerusalem. That night, he's betrayed by one of his closest, his disciple named Judas. He's turned over to the Jewish officials. They come up with all, faults of, all sorts of accusations, trumped up charges, come to a point where they can feel like they can justify their request to Pilate, who is the governor, the Roman in charge of that part of the country. They bring him to Pilate because they know Pilate is the only one authorized to issue execution. And they demand that Jesus be executed, just like he said he would. And he's crucified on Friday, Friday morning. Specifically, I believe it says 9 o'clock in the morning. And he's dead by noon. And his brave followers bring him down off that cross. They hastily wrap him up. And they put him in a tomb. They have to do it quick because the sun is going down and they, they want to make sure that they're not involved in a burial at the Sabbath, which would be a violation of their religion and practice. And so they hastily prepare him and put him in a tomb knowing that they're going to have to come back to him. And then they are still for the Sabbath. And then they go back on Sunday. And what they discover is perhaps the strangest part of the entire story, but it's the most important. And Mark, what he's going to do is, he, is he's not going to doctor the story. In fact, what he will do is he will tell the story from the perspective of the first eyewitnesses, women women who had dedicated themselves to care for the disciples and Jesus, who had given themselves in the support of his ministry, these women will be the first to discover the strangest part of the story. If you have your Bibles, turn, please, to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're going to begin by reading verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, one of the ladies, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
Very early on the first day of the week, Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away, and as they, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I'm going to share with you a couple of my insights regarding this account. It begins with the women going back to the tomb on Sunday morning. These women who had dedicated themselves in the life of Jesus to serving him, wanted to complete the task in serving him at his death. These women wanted to make sure that Jesus was buried properly according to their custom because he had been buried hastily on Friday night. They traveled to the tomb, and as they traveled, they began to talk about the details of what they were to do. Obviously, these ladies were concerned about making sure everything was okay. They, they bought the spices necessary for the, for the burial of Jesus. And no doubt, they, they talked about, make sure you, you got the right grave clothes, and make sure you got this in place, and do we have this in place? And, and their mind was set to going to the tomb and finishing the job. Because in their estimation, it was all over. They were going to complete the burial and go back home, disappointed, disillusioned, brokenhearted that the dream had died because Jesus had been crucified. No longer was he the Messiah because he was dead. He was gone. They were heartbroken. One of them thought about the fact that they had this massive stone and noticed none of the men, none of the men Jesus follows. The disciples were with them, so they were figuring out, how are we going to move this massive stone? How are we going to uh, take care of this? They were stressing about the details of being able to prepare Jesus for final burial until they got to the place where he was buried. And then, as they say, everything went sideways. First of all, they get there, and they see that the, the stone is rolled away, a very large stone rolled away, and they're like, uh, 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 what is going on? They go inside, and they see what? They see that the body's gone, and there's this person sitting there, a young man in white who is a messenger of God, and what does he say to them? Hey, why, why are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He's alive. He's risen. Remember, that's basically what he told you he was going to do. Though you didn't believe it, though you didn't anticipate it, it has happened. Tell his followers, his disciples, and Peter, go and tell them that he will meet them alive at the place where it all started in Galilee. Mark is telling the story so that each one of us who's reading this will be there with the women. 
And notice how he describes their attitude and reaction. First of all, he says the first word to describe what was going on with them was that they were alarmed. Alarmed. What does alarmed mean? They were shocked. Call 911. Something bad is happening. Something's not right. Something is weird here. We were expecting a tomb that was closed. We were expecting uh, that we would be able to bury him and finish the task and go home. And all of a sudden, no, 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 uh, something else is happening here. It says they were trembling and bewildered. What does trembling mean? Trembling means that they were so shocked a flood of adrenaline had rushed into their body that their heart was racing, their head was pounding, they were shivering and shaking, their knees were clacking because of just what was going on. They were completely shocked at what they had found. And bewildered means they were confused. They, they didn't know what to say or what to do. They couldn't make out or comprehend and assess what was happening to them. This was one of those stories where fact was stranger than fiction than anything that they expected. They did not believe he would rise from the dead, yet here it was. His body wasn't there. There was an angel saying, he's gone. Go and tell the guys to meet him in Galilee. And it says they were afraid. They left afraid. They left totally awestruck by what had just happened, that they didn't say anything to anyone. Ever been one of those rides where you've had something so shocking that when you're driving back, you just can't speak? You're just like... That's what happened to the women. And what Mark wants is for those of us who are receiving this message, he wants us to be there with the women. Why? Because the idea that a man named Jesus, a man named Jesus who did what he did and said what he said, said, I will one day be crucified for the sins of the world, but I will rise again from the dead. That is absolutely shocking and ludicrous and crazy. But this for sure comes under the category that fact is indeed stranger than fiction. And he shares this with no commentary, no softening the edges, no making sure that there is a correct harmony with other gospel accounts so that we can be assured that there's no discrimination. No, he just tells you as it is so that you make a decision. The shocking truth is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, died and came back to life again. And even though it happened 2,000 years ago, if this is true, you got a decision to make. I got a decision to make regarding who he is and what he promises. And what hinges on that decision is this. Is it going to be good news or is it going to be no news? Is it going to be good news or no news? We have to decide. Tim Keller is a preacher, and uh, he talks about how annoying...
how faith is, Christian faith is, and the reason why it's annoying is this. Here's how we approach things that we decide are good for us or not. This is how we approach religion. We, we'll study a religion, we'll study a, a faith, and we'll look at what it teaches, and we'll make that decision based on whether we like that teaching or not as to whether we'll buy in or not, right? I mean, so many people reject Christianity because they're like, we don't like the, the teachings of Paul. We don't like what Paul has to say regarding sex or regarding uh, marriage or regarding money. We don't like the teachings of Christianity. Therefore, we don't want anything to do with Christianity. But the trouble with that approach is this. Christianity is not based upon its moral foundations. While those are important, while those are the best ways to live, in my view, the Christian faith doesn't hinge on the moral teachings. It hinges on the claim that a man named Jesus came into this world, lived, died on a cross like he said he would, was buried like he predicted, and came back to life three days later. You see, the Apostle Paul was once a man named Saul in the story of the Bible. He was very offended by the teachings of Christianity. The trouble is, that all went out the water. It didn't matter because one day he met Jesus alive on the road to Damascus. And when he met Jesus alive, whether he liked it or not, didn't matter. Because Jesus is alive, that validates then everything he said, everything he promised, everything he gave to us, everything he said is true, is true because he's alive. And the decision is then, what do you do with that? Where do you go with that? Were you there as we went through the story, as we hear the story told year after year, if you were there and you say, yes, I believe he's alive, then now what? But the reason we are confident that we can enter into these kind of conversations is because why? Jesus is alive and available to provide a way in which we can know God and be known by God and walk with Him because ultimately the answer to the question, the answer to the question is God close and am I close to those who bring life to me? N.T. Wright is a scholar talking about the power of the resurrection. He said this. He said, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. Injustices and pains of this present world can now be addressed with the news that healing and justice and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world, news which warms our heart precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory of Jesus over them all. I believe that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, I believe that I'm made right with God through faith.
And I believe that God walks with me in the form of his spirit day to day so that I might have the fullness of life that he gives in this time, but also in the time to come. Because just like Jesus, I may follow him to the grave physically, but if I'm following him, I know that the grave won't hold me. And then one day I will come back to life. I will come back to life to be with him for eternity. That is the hope I live with, and that is why, that is why I agree with Mark. Mission accomplished, Mark. To Didi Bacon, and I hope to you, this is the good news, the best news, the joyful news. This is the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, just thanks so much for the time that we can share, and I thank you for Jesus. Story of Mark, the truth that we share here is truly life-changing and good news. Lord, speak to us wherever we are, those of us maybe who have been Christians many years, may this story come across as fresh as it was when we first heard it, energizing us to continue to walk faithfully in the life you give to us. Those of us who are downcast and struggling, help us to remember because Jesus is alive, you are near and you are available. You are a God that does not abandon us but walks with us and resources us. In this life, we've been confident that sometimes you do calm the storms. Many times you strengthen the sailor. Pray that you would guide and be with us through this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.